0: Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the fab foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open. Spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out MagicalMysteryCamp.com helpingfriendly Helping Friendly to learn more.
1: Osiris. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you, everyone out there, for hanging with us while we were sorting out a few things behind the scenes. My name is Brian Brinkman. It is Monday, May 16th. I'm really, really excited about today's episode. I'm going to be talking with Ryan from Trey'sGuitarRig.com. We've been wanting to bring Ryan back on for quite some time now. I talked with him after the Alpharetta shows last summer. Uh, we talked through the Jedi pedal and all the impact that that seemed to be having on fish in early 2021. We also talked with him at the end of summer tour, uh, right before the final night of Dick's one of my favorite shows of last summer, just about kind of what we were hearing uh, with fish with Trey specifically uh, as the tour evolved and kind of where the band was at at that point in time. Um, he and I have talked briefly in the months since then about, you know, kind of fishes jamming over the fall tour, Mexico, MSG. But we're really excited to bring him back on. We're going to be talking like big picture here. Uh, we, we had an idea for this episode and then he and I talked and we were like, wait, we have to actually enlarge the idea for this episode. And uh, if we don't get to everything today, we're going to have to have him back on, which is always a great thing because I learn a ton of stuff whenever I talk to Ryan about what's happening behind the scenes with Fish's music and especially with the way that Trey is approaching his guitar rig and approaching playing music in general. So really, really excited to dive into this. We're going to be talking about basically what's been going on with Trey's guitar rig since about... I want to say 2015, 2016, up to today. Um, One quick note, uh, we've got some audio that we're going to throw into the podcast version of this. So um, if you are watching this, be sure to listen to the podcast when it comes out a little bit later here today, and we'll be throwing a little bit of audio samples in there so that you guys have just a little bit more of insight in terms of what we are talking about. But um, lots to get into, so I want to jump into it. I have to just tell you all really quickly a few bits of business. Um, please subscribe to Osiris Media on Apple Podcasts for HF Pod Premium as well as Undermine Premium. We're releasing uh, episode four of Undermine Season three a day early tomorrow for uh, premium subscribers. So if you are a subscriber to Osiris Media, you get access to all Undermine HF Pod bonus early content, which um, is a really great way to support what we're doing as well. I also want to uh, just throw it out there. We are just about 10 days, I think, maybe a little bit less, somewhere around there, 10 days away from summer tour kicking off. We've got that first, I think, eight show run through the South and the Southeast and then Deer Creek. We will be talking with people the day after the show. If you are going to any of those shows and you want to hang out with us the day after, usually we go on around 1 p.m. Eastern. um, Please reach out to us. On Twitter send us a quick message and let us know what shows you're going to and what shows you'd like to uh, talk with us during we love to have you know usually one to two guests on to break down what happened the night before so please go ahead and reach out to us HF pod on Twitter and we'll go ahead and get you booked for appearing on a show here for this first leg of summer tour I can't wait for fish to get back on the road this is gonna be pretty awesome Um, I also want to tell you before we jump into the show here Sunset Lake CBD is our sponsor for the show. Sunset Lake CBD's line of smokable hemp products are for the old deadhead or the young fish fan. Anyone who is searching for the mellow body high. Smoking CBD has all the benefits of high THC cannabis without the paranoia or the anxious side effects. Hawaiian haze is awesome for an outdoor show. Cherry abacus is best for the end of the night. All of our flour, all of the flour from Sunset Lake is grown, cured, and trimmed by Sunset Lake CBD Farmers. And even better, Sunset Lake CBD's farm-to-table approach gets you great pricing on premium CBD flour by shipping directly from their farm to your door. Um, I love Sunset Lake. I use it frequently. It's a great way to take the edge off without getting myself too down that rabbit hole. of Smoking THC allows me to kind of chill out without going uh, too too intensely to the other side if you will so please check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code hfpod for 20 percent off all products sunset lake cbd farmer owned vermont grown and with that we're going to go ahead and bring ryan from trey's guitar rig on and we're going to dive into the conversation ryan how are you man
2: hey great thanks for having me how are you
1: i am doing well happy monday happy monday how uh how are things going for you? Are You getting ready for a Fish Summer Tour? You have any shows lined up this summer?
2: Getting ready for Trey to be at Red Rocks. Um, this
1: weekend, yeah, yeah, Sunday night. I'll be I'll be Wait, there.
2: Are you going to be there? Oh, we should get, we should meet up. Yeah. Um, looking forward to that. Um, have a ticket for Vail. Not sure if I'm going to be making that drive. Um, it's it's supposed, supposed to be a beautiful thing. Yeah, Gerald Ford Amphitheater. It's supposed to be really nice um, and a nice spot, but a bit of a drive. So um, we'll see We'll see how that works, but definitely Red Rocks. And then this summer, we're doing a lot of family road tripping. Um, but for sure, um, I'm sure I'll be seeing you at Dick's, for which we have a fourth night this year.
1: How do you feel about that? Do you feel like... Are you going to survive the entire long weekend? I know that by like Monday morning, I'm usually crawling in some way, shape, or form.
2: I, I'll be honest. Um, I don't know if I can say this in the public. I don't know if I can do it. Um, <laughs> three nights. I'm, I'm, I'm an old man. And uh, I mean, three <laughs> nights is, is pushing it. I'm past 40. And uh, four nights, I don't know if I can do. I want to um i also live about an hour from the venue so unless i want to get in a hotel room down there it winds up being a lot of time in the car we'll see we'll see i'm stoked i'm sure i'll do at least three and then if the spirit moves me get to that fourth night
1: we have a big group of friends that keeps expanding that that comes out every year for dicks and they usually get out tuesday or wednesday and so like last summer they got out Wednesday and we streamed the shoreline night Two show, which was like the perfect intro. It's lo- you know, you're at home, ordered some food, everyone hung out. We watched fish, you know, you can figure out what songs are still going to be on the, in the rotation for the weekend. And then Thursday night, we usually just do like a barbecue and take it very easy. Everyone like goes to bed early and, and then we get up Friday and we're all ready to go. We just like go into the run this is going to like totally mess up my entire routine because I always say going into Sunday night, I could do another night after this, but then Sunday night happens. And I'm like, okay, I think I'm good.
2: Wow. That's <laughs> impressive, man. Because by the time I get to Sunday, I'm already crawling. I feel like, <laughs> I'm like wearing, you know, athletic shoes and hydrating, you know, it's like, it's taking everything I've got, you know, to get to, it's like no alcohol consumed. No, no, no. no, no. That's, no. that slows me down. I can't have any right. of that. It's like. Plenty of water, healthy, nutritious foods, running sneakers. You know, that's the only way I'm getting through this thing. I might need a massage halfway through.
1: <laughs> I feel like, I feel like I have a big enough group coming to my house now that like we should just all pool together and get a massage therapist to come over Sunday morning. I feel like that would be a good definitely. one.
2: Definitely, go. <laughs> definitely, that's a great idea. I mean, go easy on your back. You know, it's the only one you've got.
1: It's do you, do you do floor or do you do stands?
2: I've always done floor. And I think the floor at Dick's sounds really good. Mm. Um, and you can move around and kind of get some different sounds if you want. and Get a little bit of space if you want, which is always nice. But I think it could be more sustainable if I had a seat.
1: So we always stay in the seats. We're always page side. And I, I really like we're, – we're close enough. We're like – probably two sections in front of the, the light board. I, I, I like the way that when you have that separation, the sound bounces like the drums bounce just slightly that it makes mm. you feel like a stadium, but it still yeah, comes totally. like, it usually takes them a set to get the mix right. So that by the time yep. they come out oh, that first night, second set, you feel like you, you can hear everyone properly, but there's just that, that little separation of you hear Fishman's, drums on stage but then you hear it out in the audience i, I love that about dicks and you really don't get that anywhere else but i've always wanted to do the floor i just know with four nights i gotta have a seat
2: that's that's really smart i mean and i should check that out too my thing is always you know i love to hear fish where it sounds like you almost could be in a club you know if yeah. <laughs> like you're close enough and it's like so loud you know and the yeah. drums sounds so thick and the drums and bass are like locked up so tight and it's really in your face those like first 30 40 rows even you can get that i feel like in front of the soundboard i'm usually on um i guess we go back and forth yeah i guess we go back and forth we're usually on mic side i feel like but uh yeah i like that really loud really thick sound without the slap back and without the bounce you know but you're right that like getting that stadium sound is is like a sound unto itself. It's probably worth checking out.
1: It's, it's an interesting angle of, of, of seeing fish at I I had the experience you're talking about at Chula Vista last summer. I was, I was right up front and I noticed a couple of things. One of which like the sound you're right. It feels like you're in a club. Like you just feel like it's you and the band at that point in time. And you're just like peering into a rehearsal, but also yeah. nobody around you is talking literally like, the entire show, everyone just kind of gives the head nod of like, yeah, that was cool. I don't need to tell you about it, but that was right. cool. And then you and talk it's it's to hear <laughs> each other anyway, right? Nobody's going to talk at that point. So no, I hear I you. I mean, it was, it's yeah. That was, I had that experience at
2: MSG a few times back when they used to seat the first half of MSG uh, for mm. the new year's runs. And I lucked into some good seats. Um, also we went down to those Dallas shows at Verizon wireless Amph- amphitheater. Some oh Yeah. Back. Because it was like it was like an hour flight. It was like seventy five bucks to get there, and everyone was skipping it. And so we got floor, and we were like tenth row floor in this venue that I'm going to get the number wrong, but it held like under five thousand people. I think it was like wow. so yeah. small, and it wasn't sold out. It was it was weird. It was really chill, pretty quiet, not full, and we were like in the first ten rows. And I was this is like seeing fish at the nine thirty club. It was it was insane. Yeah. It sounded really, really good, and I kind of got—I kind of got sort of hooked on that sound. I'm kind of chasing that dragon a little bit, you know.
1: I—the place didn't sound as good as you're talking, but I went to Austin for the same reasons because it was—it was like an hour and a half long flight, and I figure. I'll fly down there. I'll spend a day in Austin. My brother and I bought tickets like four days in advance. Cause you know, I could get a pit ticket for like 25 bucks and I flew Texas down fish. very, very chilled Texas fish. Like yeah. you walk down there and like, you see people and you're like, you're definitely going to fish, but like you're one of, you know, 15 other people that are going to fish. That's it. <laughs> it's like seeing totally. them in Phoenix, but
2: yeah, nobody, nobody was screaming that those Texas shows were like the best of the run. But for me, it's, an experience i won't forget you know we had a hotel room right there did two nights in a row and both nights i was like this is like traveling back in time you know
1: a fish show at the 9 30 club would be lit as someone who saw i, I saw the war on drugs at the Nine Thirty club and Me i, I yeah. did you really yeah did you Wait, I
2: but it was the same
1: show i saw father's day 2015 he called his dad right before, uh, right before he played Eyes to the Wind, and wished his dad a happy Father's Day. It was very oh, cool. Now
2: that was a different yeah. show. So
1: a couple That's years cool. before
2: that, I saw them there, and for me, this was huge. After the show, um, the main guy, whose name escapes me right now, the, the guitar player, yeah, stepped out, and there were a bunch of like guitar geeks because he has a serious guitar rig,
1: yeah. really, really
2: sophisticated yeah. and kind of weird. Yeah, and he walked out on the stage at the nine 30 club and all these people were like ogling at it. And he was just like, what do you guys want to know? And he walked oh everyone God. through the whole thing. Yeah. Like didn't leave. He hung out for like 45 minutes answering questions <sighs> about how it all worked. I was like, I
1: love that. Yeah. He was doing that. Um, during the pandemic, he was just going live on, I, on Instagram from his studio and just walking people through his rig as he was writing songs for, um, their latest record and it was just fascinating to see like the room that he's in that he's basically built that he like you know then deconstructs and brings out on the road on tour each year but it was it was pretty cool that's amazing he's able to share, share that with you guys
2: yeah such a nice nice guy
1: yeah very uh-huh.
2: genuine and Trey played there too at 9 30 club this is going back a little while now too but tab he, did played there. he did some so yeah tab tab did some shows yeah. there yeah that's what i meant
1: i love that room I love that. Room. That
2: was yeah, such a great spot.
1: Well, let's talk. Let's keep the guitar geek conversation going because you and I were talking. I had a very general question for you, and I found with someone of your knowledge about Trey's guitars and Trey's rig. <sighs> if I ask you a very general question, it tends to lead to like a much larger question, which I really appreciate because there's like no end to learning about this sort of stuff. And and I'm someone who like, I I can tell you why I like a gym. I can tell you why I like an era of, of the band's history versus a different era or like what I hear just on a larger musical standpoint, but you do a really incredible job of breaking down like the nuts and bolts of what's actually happening on stage. And my question was, I thought I was hearing a different sound that was coming out of Trey's guitar and out of the band between last summer and last fall and this recent Mexico and MSG run. And in turn you said, well, we have to actually go back to 2015, 2016 when Trey evolves and and starts moving towards, I believe you call it high gain amplifiers and this kind of journey that he's been on and this, 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 kind of journey of discovery and experimentation that he's been on for the last six or seven years. And so I wanted to start this by just asking you like, and it just, it's funny. Like I I was watching, um, I I was doing some editing earlier today and I was watching uh, the tweezer from Atlanta 2015. That's like 26 minutes. It's very spacey. And it just kept catching my, my eye how it was Trey's old school amplifier setup that he was playing it during that period in time. That summer 2015 summer, yeah. tour mm-hmm. and how much has changed how much has gotten sleeker how much has simplified in some cases but also like gotten really complex in others um, since since around that time and so I'm curious like from a general standpoint what in your eyes and your mind made trey switch towards high gain amplifiers in late 2016 and kind of what was he what what was the sound that it's it seems like he was going for?
2: Yeah. Great question. I mean, I I can only, I was actually listening the other day. He did an interview on, um, it was a jam on, I think, where he talked about this and, um, I pulled down the audio clip of it at the time, um, when he was talking about the guitar gear and he specifically referenced cream, uh, you know, Clapton's, uh, band, um, Hendrix and James gang, I believe. But like Funk 49 era James gang when he was talking about um, making the switch into these higher gain
3: uh,
2: amplifiers. And yeah, it looks like in summer 2015, he was using the old Mesa, but in the like couple of tours before that, he was alternating between that and the Bogner Shiva, which was, I feel like kind of dipping his toes into the water of a slightly higher gain sound. But in fall of 16, he comes out with a Marshall stack basically. Um, it's a JTM 45, Hand wired. It's a new production amplifier, but really built like the it's supposed to be built like the old Marshalls. Mm. I've never played one, but they're pretty highly celebrated uh, amplifiers. And I think that was kind of the idea was that so many of those bands from his youth um, were playing uh, these these high gain amplifiers. That was the sound, you know. That was the guitar sound in the late sixties, early seventies. Um, you know, Jimmy Page, Marshall Stacks, you know, ACDC, think the opening to like Back in Black, um, that big rock sound. Sometimes people call it like the English sound because Marshall, you know, people distinguish between English sound being Marshall amplifiers and the American sound being Fender amplifiers.
3: Um,
2: and that English sound was a, was a huge deal in in rock and roll and you know Trey in that interview talked about how those amps built in the late 60s even before that 50s 60s and even into some of the early 70s were all built with these really exacting standards which at the time was just the way things were done it was like super small production everything was wired with copper wire from point to point everything was made with tubes it was this really old fashioned kind of manufacturing which was like You could say the same thing about, you know, Stratocasters in the 50s and 60s, you know, hand-wired pickups and everything is, you know, cut and set by hand and played by a a guitarist before it leaves the factory. And then in the early 70s, you know, every kid that's 15 wants a guitar, and all of a sudden you go to mass production from all these manufacturers, and a lot of things change. It it takes some time. Um, You know, CBS Corporation buys Fender in the late, mid to late 60s. That's a huge change um that changes the way they build their amplifiers changes the way they build their guitars some years later everything goes to circuit board construction which is you know a lot of people will say is not as pleasing to the ear obviously years after that people go to uh transistors instead of tubes solid state production easier to make cheaper less maintenance you know great for introductory players you know great for a kid who wants his first amplifier um but doesn't have that kind of That sound that we all fell in love with that's on all the stones records and the hendrix records of you know a guitar amp being turned up to the point where the internal components reach their capacity and maybe not start to fail but start to um, give up a little bit right Mm -hmm. like they, Mm -hmm. they get so hot and they're turned up so loud that Um, the tubes that are supposed to be delivering a clean sound at three are all of a sudden delivering a really crunchy sound at 10, um, which is, I guess you could say an accident of design, but it's kind of, it's a really pleasing sound that, that tube saturation, that tube overdrive, that particular kind of distortion that happens when, when tubes reach their breaking point is this really sweet, it adds all these harmonics and octaves and, um, this kind of bloom and and chime and grind that's kind of pleasing to the ear. Um, so I think that you know that's I think that's kind of what he's going for is more that vintage classic rock
3: sound. Um, whereas Fish is really unique in that the early
2: Fish in particular. There are moments when you hear that sound, but if you look at the early records and the early shows, it's really defined by clean sounds,
3: right? Mm -hmm.
2: It's not defined by that super heavy overdrive, hard rock and roll sound. I feel like you wouldn't have used that those words to describe the band in like the early nineties, you know. Sure. There's tons of funk and jazz elements to it and kind of classical elements to it and all those things really thrived from a really clean amplifier with a lot of headroom which means a lot of kind of volume before distortion and in those years he was using this the mesa boogie mark 3 which is this you know in the in the 80s it was the, it was the ferrari of amplification but it was built in such a way that if you use the clean channel which is mostly what trey was doing clean channel and he was adding tube screamers for his gain. Uh, It will never break up in that clean channel. You can turn it up to 10, and it will still sound clear as a bell and clean as a piano. It is, it is, it is built 100 watts, tons of headroom, huge output transformer, tons of power, um, and so it stays very, very clean. And when you listen to those, go back and listen to those '90s shows, you hear a lot of clean. You know, I'm thinking about the split open and melt and those kind of Lawn Boy sounds, those kind of complex chords with weird voicings. Diminished chords, weird seventh chords, those things all really make sense with like a an an amplifier that has a lot of clean to it. A lot of those jazz players play solid state amplifiers for that reason. You know, they stay in that really clean, warm, smooth sound. You know, that doesn't really and that was really unique about Fish. It wasn't. You know, you would never listen to an early '90s Fishio and say like, "How does that?" You know. that sounds like ACDC or that sounds like Led Zeppelin, even though those bands were clearly huge influences on Fish. That just wasn't what they were doing at the time. And I think it took a long time for the rig to kind of catch up to the fact that in the mid nineties and beyond, they started writing and playing a lot of more straight ahead rock and roll music,
3: you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, it almost sounds like, it almost feels like they, there's a lot of accidental aspects to fish's history. Like the fact that a band that was playing the kind of shows that they were in like the spring of 1992 would end up headlining Madison square garden. Just it feels like there's a lot of intentionality and a lot of hard work behind that and a lot of ambition, but like sonically and a lot of other aspects of it, like it just seems unbelievable to think that that band would end up playing, you know, Madison square garden and play, arena rock tours. And so it seems as though during that period, like that's where a lot of this, maybe you fast forward to like the 2.0 period. I don't know, but it it seems like that's where a lot more of like a a direct rock sound comes into Trey's guitar Uh, within that late nineties, early 2.0 period where he's, kind of evolving with where the band is at that point and 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 responding to the the arenas that they're playing and the the settings they're playing am i reading that correctly
2: yeah i think so i mean exactly it's kind of funny how the the room shapes the music because you can imagine i mean i think you enjoy myself sounds really cool in a twenty thousand seat arena right but so does you know down With Disease or, you know, Covering Rock and Roll by Led Zeppelin or, right. you know, you got to think the temptation, character zero, to do stuff like that when you get in a room that big and you have all the people bouncing around, you know, you've got to imagine it pushes the music a little bit in that direction, which, I mean, yeah. again, for a bunch of guys that grew up listening to, among many other things, you know, all those classic rock bands, it wasn't like a hard push to get them over into that, you know, side of things.
1: Right. They were so far in one direction in like the early part of the decade, but then when success kind of begets where they're at, at that point in time, they respond to it and, and they respond to like where the sound needs to go. And that was always something that they talked about kind of being a struggle in like the fall of 1996, where they needed to figure out how do we sound like fish, but in an arena. Um yeah. I want to go back to like towards the end of 2015, 2016 when this switch was made. So like you talked about the overall production of these types of amplifiers and you kind of imagine this like 20 year journey that Trey's been on where there've been highs, lows, but he's at a point in the mid 2010s where the band is very stable, successful. They're consistently playing the same venues over and over again. He just had this, incredible opportunity standing in as you know the jerry garcia of the fair the well shows and fish is at this very unique point in 2016 and this is just kind of how i'm reading into what you described tell me if you if you if it's completely opposite but like it would seem to me that what do you do now well now is the time to start kind of tinkering and seeing i you know I, me a guitarist who's playing madison square garden um able to tinker with my sound and, and go on this journey to find this kind of perfect sound for myself that that's where you would dip and dip your toes into this world of high gain amplification is is that kind of how you read the transition at that point That it was more what else is there to be done like now it's time to start tinkering with the sound or was there something more under the surface musically there
2: i wonder if it was you know it's a couple of years into
1: So he kind of came back in
2: 2009 with like the classic Trey rig from like 90. I mean, there were different elements to it, but at the core, it was a lot like basically 94, you know, with the boogie driving it with the two tube screamer pedals. And I just kind of wonder if it was a matter of, I mean, that's probably got something to do with it. He was also, he's in New York. He's got access to, you know, he, he works with the guys at Ultrasound, which is this extraordinary amp shop in New York that has got just the cream of the crop you yeah. know the access is there. I also think there's there's you something know, there are trends with these things like um, high gain I feel like comes in and out of fashion a little bit, you know uh high headroom amplifiers were in vogue for a while, I mean, like Garcia early on was playing black fashion and face amps cranked all the way up, but in the later years, his whole thing was basically you create the distortion sound through preamps and then amplify it with gigantic clean amplifiers. Like he had those enormous modified Fender twins that I think were 150 watts each, and he had those big Macintosh solid state amplifiers to reamp it again. So I think to some degree there are trends, and, and manufacturers respond to those trends. So I, I don't know how long the guys at um, Comet were doing it. Um, but like that Marshall amp, um, they weren't building hand wired recre- recreations of their sixties amplifiers in the nineties, maybe just cause it wasn't on trend that people were into pedals. They were into distortion, sure. pedals, you know, sure. for a lot of things or like channel switching amplifiers, which the boogie is, I mean, the boogie is a channel switching amplifier and that was kind of a hot thing in those days. You can do it all with this one amp. You don't need any pedals though. So I don't, I don't think Trey has really most often used it that way. He's used it as a clean pedal platform. Um, So I think it's probably all of those things. Yeah. Pushing to the direction of, of trying something new.
1: So stepping into this world comes like, you know, from a, from a musical standpoint, the band, the band is at a a bit of a transition coming out of 2015 into 2016. Um, Musically there's, There's less, in in 2016, less of an impact on overall experimentation and jamming. They're writing a lot of songs at that point in time. 2015 is kind of this year where modulation is king in terms of fishes jamming. Every single jam moves through multiple sections, and you get the kind of peak moment of Magna Ball. And towards the end of that year, he switches up his rig for the New Year's Eve 2016 run. Is that correct?
2: Um, I think fall 16 was when the market. New Year's 16 was when the Comets came out. Yeah.
1: Got it. Yeah. And obviously the following year we get the Baker's Dozen. <laughs> How do you hear these amps and this, this renewed rig kind of impacting his overall sound and, and potentially the sound of the band as they're, as they're moving into these kind of banner events that they're going to be taking part in? You know, fall 16, you get the David Bowie record. New Year's sixteen has a really celebrated show on the on the thirtieth, but then obviously the next summer there's a lot creatively musically that's going into the Baker's dozen, um, which just a quick plug we're, we're covering on a small little podcast called Undermine right now. We have episode four coming out this week, but tell me, you know, f- he, he's doing this massive overhaul of his rig and really experimenting in in ways that. Strikes me as kind of crazy at that point in time, but like crazy in like a really good way. Hmm. Tell me kind of your perspective on it. I mean, he's always
2: had access to the overdrive tones, right? If he's put two tube screamers into the Mesa boogie, he gets a really specific, juicy overdrive tone. It doesn't have that like big harmonic saturation that a big amp like the Comet has but he's got access to an overdrive tone so i feel like it's like you know these changes are happening a little bit at the margins and the comet has access to a clean tone right if he rolls off his guitar volume a little bit but if in terms of like what it's built for like that comet is to me to my ear anyway that thing is built for a big rock and roll sound it's a 60 watt amp um i think he's running EL34 tubes which is an English you know that's a very English sound a marshally sound i think he sometimes had one loaded with 6L6s for a more american sound but to me that amp is really um it's really crunchy it's a really crunchy sounding amplifier and and in some of the sound clips will will uh will will add in later you can hear um i think one of them is like a down with disease where it's just like it's heading towards like Eddie Van Halen territory. It's very, very raucous rock and roll capable amplifier. And he's still got his pedals he can add on top of that. So it's like all of a sudden the default setting, if you just turn on the amp, plug the guitar in, is like crunchy. Um, as opposed to it being like super clean, the kind of sound you'd more expect for A pure funk outfit or you know more of a jazzy outfit so it's there's a lot more gain on tap um but i think it fits in to a tradition of rock and roll when you see like kind of all the covers they were doing in the baker's dozen maybe some of that stuff might have felt more comfortable i think there were some hendrix i think there was some neil young right yeah Oh yeah. Um like that kind of stuff is really going to sing on an amplifier like that, you know, a big, raucous, rock and roll
1: amplifier. Yeah, I mean, I wonder stylistically if there's if like that's part of it is like this it's this big rock and roll type of moment that the band is going for with the Bakers Dozen, so why not mimic that sound a little bit more. Um in terms of their over, in terms of his overall playing, it's kind of this center stage type of moment where so much of Fish is going to be on display. Why not make it sound like, you know, what what he would imagine his hero sounding like playing in Madison Square Garden for a residency?
2: Yeah, maybe it's just a matter of having the breathing room. Mm. Getting to that place where it's like, okay, it's time to think about this. I have the space and time to think about this. I think there's also something appealing
3: um, to
2: people like, I mean, real, you know, when you hear people talk about these amps, that they're hand-wired and that the chassis are built from, what do they say, aerospace-grade aluminum, and you know, the way these design these things are designed is, they're designed so you can really hear the tubes, so it's an extremely simple circuit, just like those old Fender Tweed amps from the 50s were, that Keith Richards used to turn up to 10, you know, and crank. So there's this like period of, you know, there's always the, there's always the like, the new, the, the up and comers are always trying to like um, fix all the mistakes the last guys made, right? So if you look, if you, if you look at the Mesa Boogie and then look at a Comet,
3: mm-hmm. the design
2: choices like couldn't be, you know, more different in a way, mm-hmm. right? The Comet, there's no channels there's no, there's very little circuitry. It's built to be as absolutely simple as it can. So I think there's a lot of appealing about the way people can describe these things. Like you can hear the tubes and you can go on hunts and find the oldest tubes, the tubes that were built in Holland in the 19 whatever's forties and fifties. And all these things make little differences in the margins of how these things sound a little bit better, a little bit more pure, really delivering the sound of your pickups, really delivering the sound of your guitar overdriving in a way that is, you know, highlighting the way those vintage style builds, you know, fail where circuits are overloaded, tubes overdrive, as opposed to like the Mesa Boogie, which is like, you push a button on the preamp and it delivers an overdrive tone, the same way a a pedal sort of would. It's, It's, it's really technologically complicated as opposed to these, these amps in the, in this 3.0 search that are like designed to be really simple and straightforward. And there's a kind of purity to it. I think that is really appealing to a lot of people who, who like these amps and talk about them.
1: I, I want to make a comparison. It may be totally off, but what you're describing, I, I, I have a close friend who who's a brewer and he talks about, you know, the the trend towards hazy IPAs covers up a lot of flaws in your process. But if you make a clear, you know, a a clear IPA, you can't really cover up any sort of flaws. And and his favorite beer to to make is just a Pilsner because it's, it's the simplest beer to, to drink. But like, if you get it right, you get it really, really right. And you can hear all the elements in it. But if you screw it up, everybody can tell, and you can tell a bad Pilsner from a good Pilsner type of thing. Is it like that in the sense where it's almost like a challenge that like, if I, if I, if I fuck up here, you're going to be able to hear it all because it's, there's so much purity in terms of the music that's coming out.
2: I love that comparison. The one thing that anyone will tell you, if you get on the like guitar music boards, you know, the first thing anyone will say, somebody will post a thread. that's like, should I get a comment? And the first response is always, it will hide nothing, you know, You better be ready to play a Comet because it is not for the faint of heart, right? It will hide nothing, right? Every mistake, every flick, every scrape of the strings. You know, one of the things that they're really about these amplifiers, they're really responsive to pick attack. So like. If you have the volume at halfway, like four to five and you gently strum the strings, you get a clean tone. If you windmill the strings. hit him as hard as you can you'll get a big crunch tug and then there's all the variations in between that's again not true with the mesa boogie mesa boogie you can hit with a hammer and it will still never break up and you know there's some examples of that i think if you i think i pointed out one in my twitter feed where they're in the in the remaining light set i mean there's some moments where i can't believe how hard he is hitting that that The strings and the amplifier is just clear as a bell and so clean. That's a specific thing. It's not a bad thing, right? It's 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 a specific thing. With a comet, you can't do that. With these this Mm. style of amplifier, you can't do that. Um, There's no reverb on board either. Um, So there's that that oftentimes you know reverb can a little bit mask a little bit of this or that. Now Trey has this whole wet rig that's adding reverb. That's sort of a separate story, but. These, these amplifiers, um, you will sound like you for better or worse.
1: It's interesting because, like, I, I remember. Um, We were talking about this in season one of Undermine when we were talking about the Languedoc, the first Languedoc that he played, and that when he played it on stage for the first time, it was just – it was a mess of feedback, and it was almost like he had to to learn how to properly position his body to play that guitar and where to stand in conjunction with the amplifier because the hollow body aspect of it was just picking up feedback, and when you had it in the right place and when you learned how to use feedback as like an aspect of music – then suddenly his guitar playing and you know the sound of fish really takes off it, it kind of seems as though he's at a point where and, and I want to get back to like how does this impact fish but like it almost seems like just as like a craftsman and as a guitarist he's at a point where he's he's reached so he's passed so many tests he's reached so many different levels from a musical standpoint what else am I going to do but just continue to challenge myself And the idea of these, you know, this guitar that picks up everything and that pushes feedback out if you're standing in the wrong way, this amplifier nowadays that if you play it with any sort of sense of flaw, it's going to be pushed out to the audience in such a, you know, noticeable way. It just seems like he's trying to walk walk like a tightrope act constantly with his guitar playing in a way that. Adds just another element of challenge to this. And, and, and I almost wonder though, what else could right? you do. Know? Right. Yeah, yeah, That's, that's Shush though,
2: right? It's like, what can we do next year? You know, like, what can we do to make it harder? What can we do to make it different? What can we do, you know, like, it's never, it's just never been about, like, resting on laurels, you know? It's like, yeah. if this, you know, maybe it's going to take me a little while to get used to how this thing works. I mean, I am I don't know, I'm imagining, but, I think it's the better sound and I'm going to do it until I nail it and it's going to be worth it, you know?
1: So let's talk about that from a fish standpoint, because that makes a lot of sense to me. And and I feel like, you know, since that fall 2016 period, since the Baker's dozen, we hear this. I don't want to say like renewed inspiration because I think the band has been inspired just in different ways. Like I think you could even look at like the 2010, 2011 period as like they were trying to rediscover and rebuild who fish was at that point in their lives. And there was no guarantee that they'd be able to reach some of the musical levels that they would get to within a couple of years. But following the Baker's dozen, you know, there's a lot of, there's a ton of songs that are written. And there are a lot of, you know, there's an approach to their concerts that has a much more anything goes feel to it where improvisation just jumps out of the page one, two songs into a show. Rarities are played with a lot more ease. And we really saw this in the last summer. I'm curious from your perspective, did, because it almost would seem like the opposite would happen where he would get this new amplifier that's harder to play through and as a result, we kind of rein the sound in of the band to keep things a little bit more simple and straightforward while he's figuring out a new sound. But it's like the opposite happened. Do do you think that this these new amplifiers and this new uh, approach from a tinkering standpoint on his his stand on his behalf that that uh, inspired him and like that cracked something open for the band or how, how do you hear that?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I don't I don't know. I'm thinking about the kinds of things that they've written and in that era and it you know helped me out, but I feel like it leans more towards the um I'm thinking about Caspot Vox.
1: Yeah.
3: Um
2: I'm thinking about it, it seems like uh, the writing is a little more simple and straightforward. Um, yeah i'd agree with that like have we seen a big
3: um
2: kind of classical composition in that era
1: yeah i mean i would argue i I don't know if it's really a classical composition but it's it's pretty sectional based as drift while you're sleeping um uh, beneath the stars you get you get some sections in there he wrote uh forward people i think that that was pretty like you you get pockets of it but i definitely i hear you like a lot of these songs tend to be more straightforward from a um, classic rock type of feel. I guess what I hear is like the, the show structure itself and the actual like improvisation in the shows have become more complex, Mm
0: -hmm. which
1: like in the moment he's playing through these amplifiers on stage that, that reveal a lot of flaws while also taking musical risks. I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting to me.
2: Yeah. I mean, also like, like about to run. That is a song yeah. that is like made for a Comet 60, you know, that is like, that is a, that is a really classic rock song to me.
3: Um,
2: even, even parts of drift. Yeah. There are parts of it that are, that are composed, but a lot of the sections are, um, are, are, are rock and roll ish. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of rock and roll on that record and Sea of stars is like, uh, God, but that reminds me of something. It reminds me of like like Freedom Flight by Shuggy Otis. You know that? Or, or um, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, stuff like that where it's like it's composed, but it's pretty simple.
1: Um Yeah, it's true.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But it does seem like focusing on fundamental elements, um, strong vocal. Uh a good guitar tone, a good fundamental guitar tone, you know, um, same with bass and drums, keys, pages sound, the organ has become so strong in like that fundamental way, just like a very, the very solid B3 sound, like a great rock and roll B3 sound.
3: Um,
2: so yeah, I don't know how much of these things are like driven by the technology they're using or vice versa. I mean, you know, it's always hard to say.
3: Um,
2: But yeah, that's those amps. I think would tend to push push me more in the direction of classic rock and roll.
1: Yeah, it's a good example with "About to Run" because that song. I mean, that song could have come off of "Tonight's the Night" or "Zuma" or something. It seems just like a total nod to "Crazy Horse." Um, And it's interesting, like when they play that song, there's it works kind of like character zero does, but it also <laughs> is like devoid of structure towards the end. Like it's, it's just like a lot of sound going out at the audience and it kind of strikes me on an improvisational standpoint. It just it, it's never really left the structure of the song, but it, it strikes right. me in terms of the way that their improvisation has worked over the last couple of years where, there's a lot of sound coming at you and there's a lot of focus sound coming at you, but there's also this like big release and about to run just strikes me as this like big release song where like the entire, yeah. song there's almost no tension built. It's just, maybe there is like during the song segment, but once they're going, it's just like this giant release on the, uh, t- towards the audience and his, his new rig seems to really, really, uh, allow for that to happen.
2: Definitely. It's dark. I mean, it's, yeah, there are parts of it that sound like kind of kind of hard rock, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. What, um, when you look at like the way that his rig has evolved, what are some things that you notice between say like 2018 and right up until the pandemic that he was doing during that period?
2: So that was, I mean, he was using mostly those comet amplifiers from like 17 through, 19 and then in late 19 he discovered I don't know how he was probably through the ultrasound guys um, in New York was turned on to this train wreck thing Yeah, Um, and these train wreck amplifiers are really rare um, amplifiers that were built by this guy named Ken Fisher in New Jersey mostly in the late 80s and early 90s but the most celebrated ones are he built a couple of different kinds of amps. The one that Trey is using is called the express an express amplifier. <laughs> and each of them are named. Um, there's no serial numbers. There's literally so few of them that each amplifier has a woman's name. That's the way they're identified. Um, so the one Trey has been playing most consistently, I think over that period is named Jan Marie. And uh, it's, they're really unique beasts. Fisher was connected and kind of a mentor to the Comet crew in the early years. Um, Fisher had an untimely death uh, in, I think, the early 2000s. But before Mm -hmm. that, he was uh, working with uh, the folks at Comet and also the folks, um, Dr. Z amplifiers. So Dr. Z makes an amplifier called the Z-Rec and the Z-Rec Jr. I think they did that in collaboration with... um, Ken Fisher, the, the train wreck guy. And I think the Z-Wreck was also in collaboration with the, uh, oh, I can't believe his name is escaping me. They're really ripping Telecaster country player, Brad Paisley. Mm, mm. Um, who's also an absolute tone fanatic and has some really insane amplifiers. Folks should check those out sometime. Um, but, and then, Comet was working with them and sending kind of design and schematic ideas back and forth around their flagship amplifier, which is the K60, the one that uh, Trey was playing for those interim years. And I think even on the back of those amplifiers, it says train wreck engineering on it or something Mm. or train wreck technology. They give a lot of credit to to Ken Fisher and Ken's design ideas. And I think Trey actually had some really early Comets that Ken actually kind of touching and working with at the time and he was he was excited about that but then i think the obvious pull would be well why not try a actual ken fisher built train wreck from like 1990 with you know 91 89 90 91, those really really celebrated years and that some aspects of the design are similar it's a little bit smaller amp in terms of um what the wattage rating is and wattage doesn't tell you everything but the comet is a 60 watt amp um and the train wreck um, is like a 35 40 watt amp um a little more similar to uh some of the smaller comet amplifiers rather than the k60 and the train wreck to me it's a slightly different voice you can definitely hear the influence and all the things i talked about with respect to the Comet or e- Comet are are equally true here i mean he sourced all the parts from very specific suppliers. Ken Fisher, you know, he he used, he was very dedicated to this certain set of output transformer for years and bought up the whole supply so he wouldn't run out. And he was known for tuning his amplifiers the way people tune, you know, handmade guitars, right? Where it's, he would say, I, I'm sensing a little bit of weakness in, this is now above my pay grade in terms of technology, but imagine, you know, the, the the treble voicing so i'm going to switch a resistor on the bass side to try to balance that out a little bit so you would if you put two of them next to each other you wouldn't necessarily see the exact same schematic um because they were really built as one of a kind each one was i mean yeah. if it was a model called the express he had another model called the rocket but each one was really built to be its own thing um, and so they really you know all that sometimes I call this stuff cork sniffer stuff, you know, to kind of make fun of wine snobs, but it's kind of the same thing. It's right. It's just like, you know, well, imagine if we, you know, and I'm sure at the margins, you know, we're we're talking about the finest world-class amplifiers here. And at the margins, if you swap out the Dutch made tube for the English made tube at the margins, yeah, you're going to, you're going to hear, if you've got a really good ear like these guys do, you know, you're going to, you're going to be able to make out a difference that maybe is not qualitatively better. There's at this point, we are beyond objective preferences or object, you know, objective differences. We're talking like, I like that sound a little bit better, you know?
1: Sure. 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 Uh, sure. You
2: know, it's like the the difference between the, you know, phono cartridge that costs the $500 phono cartridge is really good. Then there's a $20,000 phono cartridge. And I don't know where at that point you're really slicing really thin, right? Um, so yeah i
1: mean think, it's almost go ahead
2: i was just gonna say that was i think what kind of pulled him in i think all this kind of when when you're getting into that level of sophistication and deep dive on this stuff and thinking about it that hard and you have the resources to do it and the time you would say like yeah why don't why don't we try this why don't we try it and see how it sounds and like most people who've played train wrecking <laughs> there was a story in the old days about how ken was when he supplies started getting thinner and I think he was ill, um, he always would, I think probably jokingly offer people three times their purchase price back for the amplifiers. he'd built them because they'd gotten in such demand. And you know, no one took him up on that. Right. They, they'd rather keep it than have three times their money back. They sound really good.
1: It, it almost sounds, I mean, from it's, that's an amazing like, anecdote there at the end. That's, like you, you build something that you essentially have no like you have a plan for, but like you're allowing it to be tinkered with as you're building it, and and it to be different from this other, you know. So it's not like this is a line of amplifiers; they're all different amplifiers in a lot of cases. I mean, you talk about like the the margins of where you can hear the difference. I, I've just got to imagine at this point in Trey's career, like what else you're writing like crazy. Your band is still performing at a very high level. What else are you going to do, but like tinker with the tubes in your amplifier and figure out like specifically if what I'm using is of the best quality, because there's an obsessive nature to it that adds just another layer and another element to fish's music at this point. I have to assume
2: he doesn't require it. I mean, yeah, if you had like, Imagine, you know, it's like you finish your run at the garden, you're in New York, you know, you live in New York, and you're like, okay, I got a couple, you know, I don't know, vacation, I don't know what these folks do with their time. But you can imagine being like, I'm going to schedule two days at ultrasound or some recording studio or the barn or whatever. And we're going to bring 50 tubes, and I'm going to bring a couple of really smart tech people and really wise amp gurus. And we're going to tube roll. This is the thing people do, right? So it's like you got this big box of glass tubes right it's like okay let's try that in v1 okay play the amp and you can even record it right if you're in a studio so then you can really listen to them back to back okay let's try this one in v1 pop that one in there okay let's try these power tubes let's try these three over here and then these two over there let's try all of those except with a different set of power tubes i mean you could do this all day and like if you like playing guitar and listen to amplifiers i i mean i'd love to do that all day you
1: know yeah, my, my uncle was, a, my uncle was a, a wood craftsman and he had a shop and like we'd go over there just on Saturdays. My, my dad, my brother and I would drive up there and it was the same type of thing of like with drill bits and, and with just like different types of wood. And he would just like spend a Saturday afternoon just like messing around, just making sure he had, you know, everything right for like a project that's going to come six weeks from now. But it was just like tinkering with all these little elements of it. And I've got to imagine that's what like, you know, just a day off or, you know, working day is like for Trey, but yeah, you talk about like the lack of sleep. I remember the scene in, uh, between me and my mind where he's up at like four thirty in the morning, like the light is just creeping in from outside. He's got coffee. He's listening to a recording he just made. And it kind of made me realize like, that's like the separation in a lot of cases is like, if you can get yourself up at that hour and just immediately start working like before you change before the rest of the house is up like you're just working for you get those two hours in and then it's daytime and now you can start meetings and whatnot like that's that's what separates trey from the rest in a lot of cases plus never
2: been able to do it but that that incredible drive that incredible motivation to just make that one thing a little better and then tomorrow I'm going to make that other thing a little better. And then it's just right. like every day, if you do that, you know, all of a sudden <laughs> things are pretty incredible. I mean, but in, and it's been this way since, you know, I mean, in the, in the nineties he had, you know, the analog man, who's a, there's a website, he has a website where he was, um, modifying tube screamers. And Trey has his tube screamers, right? And he was doing is taking out the chip that Ibanez was stocking in them. And he went out and found a bunch of copies of the chip that they used to stock in them in the old days or a closer variant of that chip and replaced it and then made a few other tweaks to make it sound more like a classic tube screamer or a little bit better. I mean, you can sit these things next to each other And roll around on the dials and see if you can hear the subtle differences. Analog man himself will tell you these are very subtle differences, you know? Um, but if you're, if you're in it to win it, you know, go for those subtle differences. And I feel like that appears all over Trey's rig. Um, the wet, you know, the, I mean, look at the guitars. You know, and I'm sure I, I know Paul is just extraordinary meticulous. I'm sure he walks into wood shops and taps on woods, and you know, looks at flame patterns and thinks about how they might impact sound. I mean, I think every single mm-hmm. point along the chain is is kind of that that way.
1: So, looking at post pandemic, they come back here in 2021. Did you notice a significant change in his overall tone or did you notice just like a a continual tinkering and upgrade? Like, where do you do you notice it? What do you notice ever since they came back from the pandemic?
2: I I was. I've been pretty blown away. I mean, especially since they did this brand new wet dry rig in the last like six months, I guess, since New Year's. There's this, they've rebuilt their wet dry rig from the ground up with all their own stuff. They've built their own, they bought their own reverb processor. Um, pretty sophisticated studio reverb processor. They've built these extra speakers, super um, high fidelity speakers that go with it. That whole thing sounds, I think the reverb Trey's guitar is at the pl- It's the best it has ever sounded. There's separation between the name tone and the reverb tone. The reverb tone is really pretty. It can be really present without interfering with the rest of the guitar. I think all that stuff sounds great. I thought at Dick's, and even before then, when I started hearing the way the train wreck amps were sitting in the mix, I thought it was I thought it was noticeable. I thought it was noticeable. Again, we're talking about you know the, the Comet amps are Porsche amplifiers. They're among the finest anyone's making. Um, I thought it was noticeable when he switched to the train racks. I thought uh, to the yeah to the Trainwrecks. Um, it's a slightly smaller amp. To me, it was a little less low end, a little less bass. I mean those those big. English sounding amps can have a lot of low end thump, and they're known for that chunk sound that you hear in hard rock a really chunky low end sound. Um, whereas I think Trey's sound has usually been more defined by a focus on the mid range, and the tube screamer is a classic example of that. A tube screamer is a mid range bump pedal when you add it to the boogie, which is a pretty mid range heavy amplifier he was sitting in the mix like very much in the mids. And that was like the sound of the of the uh, mid-90s in my head. And even with his Deluxe Reverb, he had a guy up in Vermont, whose uh, name escapes me at the moment. Is it Bill Carroth? It might be. Who added a mids knob to his Deluxe Reverb so that he could goose the mids on that. So they added a little circuit to that Deluxe Reverb to make it a little bit mid-forward. I feel like he's always been there that bright um, mid sound, I feel like, has always been a huge part of his sound. With the Comet, I feel like it added this big low-end growl, which is cool. That's a cool sound.
3: Um,
2: it sounded different. And I, it was a time when I noticed a lot of people asking me, like, what's going on? This sounds different. It sounds, you know. And then when that amp is being used to play, you know, the sort of, lawn boy kind of stuff the jazzyer chords, the split open and melt intro you know it can kind of sound like you know you wouldn't use the angus young rig to play the west montgomery licks you know um and i feel like that's always the trick for fish right is if you're going to cover a dozen genres basically over the course of a night sometimes half a dozen in the course of a song right like it's the feel is ch- like Bands don't do that. That's just not something that bands do. Bands go out and play country music all night or rock and roll music all night or they kind of stay within a sound. But like fish, can they can go anywhere. And Trey has been pretty consistent, I think entirely consistent, about only wanting to bring one kind of amplifier out with him, right? So there was a time when he had the the Mesa and the Bogner or like the Deluxe Reverb and the Mesa. But for the most part, he wants the show's, oh, I don't know what he wants, but I assume based on this single amp selection that he that he's looking for, to have a consistent voice throughout the show. In other words, you could be like a top 40 artist and you could bring a clean amplifier and 10 different pedals that emulate 10 different kinds of amps, right? And you could say, I'm going to cover Led Zeppelin, I'm going to sound just like Jimmy Page. And then I'm going to cover ACDC and sound just like Angus Young. Then I'm going to cover Fish and sound as close to Trey as I can sound. Then I'm going to do Jerry And then it's like, but that's kind of like a, that's like a parlor trick, right? Mm. As opposed to saying, I'm going to take out one amp, I'm going to make it work for everything I do. And like, when you hear the guitar, you're going to know it's the guitar. When you hear me, it's always going to sound like me. I'm not going to try to emulate, you know, the person that I'm covering and, you know, in terms of emulating their entire rig, I'm going to do my sound and try to make one amp work for everything. It's like pretty hard to do. I think you were at that Isbell show, right? Yeah. He had like half a dozen amps on stage. Right. And they weren't like copies of the same amp; They were all different amplifiers for a bunch of different sounds that he wants. Like Trey comes out with one amp, so that amp has got to do a lot.
3: And um,
2: I think the train wreck gets to a spot where if he's got the volume like just below halfway up which is it seems where we were running it maybe halfway then the default sound is like a slightly furry slightly overdriven guitar it's basically the same as like the mesa boogie with one tube screamer on or okay. the comet with the volume rolled off a little bit but that's like the tr- that's like the tray like jam sweet spot sound not the melt your face thing not the purely clean seats thing but like the melodic exploration, improvisation, jam sound.
3: Um,
2: and I feel like with the train wreck, it's kind of like plug and play and you're you're at that sound for the most part. Um, and I also feel like it has a little bit more of a mid-push, a little bit more of a low-end focus. And I think all of that stuff makes it sit at a place in the mix that's not exactly back to the, like the mid-90s style thing by any means. It has some built-in Overdrive. It's a little bloomier and shinier. Um, it's not ever going to be that like complete and total high headroom queen. But I think it's very musical. It's really chimey and bloomy. It sits in a nice mid-focused place in the mix. And I think it, to my ear, I when I when I've gone back and listened to these shows, I thought to myself, okay, this this is really working. The, the what I thought was a little bit of a deficit in the clean tones during the Comet years, and definitely a deficit in the overdrive tones during the Mesa years, I think maybe we're starting to hit like a sweet spot here where you can get everything you need and have one amp on stage.
1: But you don't expect him to stop tinkering.
2: You know, yeah, I don't know. What happened to you (laughs) What happens when you get to the top of the hill? Um,
1: Figure out if there's know, more more hill to climb. That
2: yeah, you know. I'm sure. Th- I'm sure there's. I'm sure there's something else to find. Also, there's there's a lot of different
3: there's a lot of different steps along that signal. chain <laughs> you know, added those those M5 synthesizer pedals and the Boss synthesizer right. pedals to get that
2: there's always something to tweak. I mean, you know, again, I think if you, you know, found the three biggest guitar freaks on the planet and said, Holy grail, desert Island, amp two out of three of them would probably say a train wreck express. Um, Maybe, maybe, you know, you know, there's, there's great vintage tweed stuff. And, you know, of course it depends on what you're doing and great vintage Marshall stuff, but, these things are special. Um, they're special and they're really unique. So um, maybe I don't know if there's anything better. There might be something different. There might be you know different paths to go down and explore. Who who knows? But I'm sure I'm sure the the sound will never stop changing and growing.
1: And that's a great that's a great spot to meet the present. So I'm curious, like where we're at going on the summer tour it's it's impossible to predict anything but i mean if if you could like for for listeners out there who are about to hear some new fish in the next 10 days and we'll spend the summer analyzing the band's sound and new songs that are here and new jams what are things that you would encourage people to listen to Um, Just to kind of hear what's happening behind the scenes and like below the surface and and to the margins, as, as you said earlier, um, within Trey's sound in particular, like there are like three things that people should be listening for. You know, I think
2: listen for the melody because uh, I think there have been phases, you you know, I've talked about this, where there's been a little bit more of a technology centric, Aspect to Mm. Trey's playing and the band. Like last year when we spoke, I remember talking about Trey would bust out one of those synthesizers and then Paige would get the synthesizer and then there would be this like really industrial kind of like electronic weird jamming. And like we didn't predict Sci Fi Soldier, but like that's where that was headed, right? Right.
1: right. Um, (laughs) Who
2: would predict sci fi? I mean, yeah, don't try to predict. (laughs) but but that's where that stuff was headed and you saw a lot of those sounds come out and like it made a lot of sense in retrospect Um, I'm just I'm hearing a lot of like I'm hearing a lot of of Trey focusing on driving jams with melody rather than driving jams with different timbres different technologies different delays that stuff's always going to be there it's always going to be there But like, for example, he had the way he had his rig set up when MSG started was he had one amplifier, two amps, the same amp, you know, different different names, but they're both Trainwreck Expresses. One had the whole Bradshaw effects rig in front of it, and one had nothing in front of it. So when he was using that amp with nothing in front of it, he had access to no effects. Tray with no effects. That's not something that we've seen a lot of. Not, no access. I mean, he could hit the switch and go back. But in his head, you've got to be... Why would he do that? Except for oh. he's thinking about ways to drive the jams just with the guitar and an amplifier.
3: Wow. You know,
2: He's got his reverb on the back end. That's a different thing. But that amp has no delay. That amp has no whammy. No pogs. None of that stuff. No synthesizers. No funk frogs. So I think by the end of MSG, he had gone down to a single amp with one backup. But just the fact that he's kind of going there.
3: um, He had
2: done it with the Comets, too, at one of the uh, at the MSG show where he got stuck on the ceiling, I think.
3: Um,
2: And one of the names he he talks about a lot is Derek Trucks. And that's kind of Derek's one of Derek's things. It's just like straight in, you know, there's there's this mythology among I shouldn't call it mythology. There's belief among amp and guitar geeks that there's this magical interface between the pickups on a guitar and the first preamp tube in an amp's preamp that's called V1 and that that you don't want anything in between there you don't want an AB switch you don't want a delay pedal you don't want a gain stage nothing you want those things to be able to talk directly you know straight no. through a cable um and i think there's there's something happening there where he wants to be able to uh really just speak with with the guitar as the voice um, and 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 have moments you know again there's always going to be moments when the effects come in there's always gonna be moments the boomerang and the whale call all that cool stuff but some moments that are really you know purely driven by by the melody um, again that's always been there too to agree we're talking about on the margins here but if i was looking that's kind of the direction i'd be looking at
1: Well, it's interesting because like stylistically, I, I hear what you're talking about. You know, one of the things that fascinated me the most last summer and last fall was he'd go to this synthesizer pedal and the natural inclination is you go to a synthesizer pedal and you're going to start playing chords that just like ring out this sound and 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 add like you know this new element to it he he instead would go directly to riffs and came up with new ideas you know to basically have musical conversations with the audience with the other band members and then they come out from mexico and there's almost no synthesizer pedals for the first two shows of that run it starts to show up towards the back end of those four shows but it felt like that a very bass, liberal- that bass synthesizer sound yeah, that very bassy synthesizer, yeah. like they, he would play throughout, you know, twenty twenty one, and it seemed almost missing in the early part of the Mexico run. But at the same time, this thing that was still there was the melody and and mm-hmm. this like these very clear, clean riffs, and it kind of repeated itself in MSG. The the synthesizer pedals seemed to be used a little bit more towards the back end of that run, but it was fascinating to me to hear the evolution of this technology adds to communication but then you remove the technology but keep the communication and it kind of gets back to something you've been Mm -hmm. saying throughout this conversation of like your voice and it's something i've never really i haven't put those two together of like what it sounds like his larger mission or goal seems to be right now Part of this is purely speculating, but like how I'm interpreting it is how do I speak as Trey Anastasio in like the cleanest, clearest way possible through my guitar without any anything interfering? Just like how does my guitar speak as me? And that's kind of a goal that leads itself to constant tinkering because your voice changes and you're, you grow and you evolve and you change. And so it, it seems to make sense why there would be all this constant tinkering. That's
2: so well said. I love the way you put that. Leave the technology, keep the communication. That's so that's so right on. Because like, yeah, when he's playing that bass synthesizer, it's like, what if I was another bass player for a minute? What would that, <laughs> how, would that how would that change the way we're all talking to each other, right?
1: Totally, how totally. How would that change
2: the way we're all talking to the audience? Just like, just a little bit of a, all right, let's, let's shift everything, you know, 90 degrees for a minute. What's that about, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's, that's so interesting, yeah
1: well i am really excited to see how this how his overall rig changes as we move into the summer and 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 we're gonna have to have you on as like updates throughout the summer of what's going on because your uh your site man on a on a daily and weekly and tour by tour basis is is such an incredible resource to dive into what's happening on stage so i really appreciate it i really thank you for your work and your service and uh Man, this was such a fun conversation. We need to, we need to pick like an era in fish history and just dive into where the rig was at that point in time. I feel like that could be a ton of fun.
2: That would be fun, absolutely. Yeah, anytime. Love chatting with you, man. It's always interesting.
1: Likewise, dude. And I will see you on uh, on Sunday at Red Rocks. We've got some tray. I'm really excited. Yeah, that.
2: definitely. That'll be fun.
1: Awesome, Ryan. Well, thank you so much for your time. And um, have yourself a great rest of your Monday. We'll be in touch here, dude.
3: Sounds good.
1: All right, man. Take care. Bye. All right. That was an excellent, excellent conversation. I hope you guys got as much out of that as I did. I I learned so much every time I talk with Ryan um over at TreysGitarrig dot com. Let me just make sure. Yeah. Trey's guitar You probably, if you're watching this, if you're listening to us, you are familiar with it, but just as a further promo, I want to make sure that everybody out there is checking out, uh, Ryan's site and Ryan and all the work that he's doing documenting training Stasio's evolving guitar rig. Um, we had him on undermine in season two and, uh, he talked, it was one of my favorite quotes, the whole, season where he talked about like if if nobody's documenting what trey is doing as a guitarist what fish is doing musically at this point in their history who what's going to happen it's all just going to disappear and so he he provides an incredible service to the community i'm thankful for it and uh i hope that uh, you all enjoyed that um we'll be back here on wednesday same time 4 30 p.m We have part three of our ongoing series here on spring 1992. We'll be wrapping up the tour with May 1992. Benji Ison will be joining us. We'll be doing a similar thing to what we did in March and April. So if you missed those episodes, go check them out. They're in the feed, uh, labeled as Spring 92, 30 Years On, Parts 1 and 2 with Benji Ison. Uh, we talked, we each picked a show from March and from April. We dove into why we thought that show was representative of that month and talked about how the band was evolving and shifting and growing throughout the uh, Spring 1992 tour, which I think is just one of the most important and just fascinating tours. Of Band has ever been on so again that will be Wednesday May 18th at 4:30 p.m. Eastern and just looking ahead of the schedule we've got next week we're going to be focusing on a previews of summer 2022 and then as we move into the summer we're going to be um, incorporating some of the live show recaps of um <clears throat> Uh, summer 2022 tours so again as a quick reminder out there if you're going to any shows here orange beach charleston deer creek reach out to us on twitter at hf pod let us know that you want to talk with us get in touch send us your email send us your phone number your twitter handle whatever we'll get in touch with you we'll get you booked up for one of those shows and we'll talk with you about your thoughts on the overall tour as it's evolving and what your experience was like at whatever fish show it is that you will be going to here this summer um before we go i want to tell you once again about our sponsors we are so so thankful to be sponsored by sunset lake cbd sunset lake cbd is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located just outside of Burlington, vermont for years they were a dairy farm producing milk for ben and jerry's ice cream and in 2019 they diversified started growing hemp for cbd Sunset Lake CBD embraces Vermont's tradition for land stewardship by using sustainable and regenerative farming techniques to build and protect healthy soils. They are 100% pesticide-free, they use minimal tillage, and they implement cover crops and crop rotations. They also serve as the research farm for University of Vermont's agronomists to study hemp and inform best industry practices. Please check out sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code HFpod for 20% off all products. Again, that's Sunset Lake CBD. They're farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Vermont grown, I should say. Uh, and we are also sponsored by Cash or Trade, which is the only secondary ticketing marketplace where fans buy, sell, and trade tickets at face value. Fans are able to DM each other before, during, and after a transaction, just in case anything goes wrong, to rate and review each other when a transaction is complete. No added fees to sell your tickets. All sales are fully protected by Cash or Trade's trader protection policy, which guarantees your money back. Users can avoid purchase fees with a gold membership subscription. Please visit cashortrade.org to learn more, to use their services. With that, I will leave you all. Have a wonderful Monday. Um, Podcasts will be up here shortly for those of you who didn't have a chance to listen to the whole thing. And we'll be back on Wednesday. May 18th to talk spring 1992. Thanks everyone.
2: If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nemo at the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road.
3: Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce.
1: And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans... We set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB.
3: Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series.
1: Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on the corner of Gray Street.